0: Peyton. All right, John chapter 10, John chapter 10, let's read a couple of verses, get right into the message this morning. We're going through the Gospel of John on Sunday morning. We come to chapter 10. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some the way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them. They understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. As we have come through the first nine chapters of the Gospel of John, there are several features that are particular to this Gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three are called synoptic Gospels because they are so similar. Together they give you a brief summary or a synopsis of, of the life of Christ. John stands out from the other three because it is so different. Uh, Only one of the miracles that is in the Gospel of John is found in the other three Gospels. So most of the material found in John is unique. He tells about happenings and he tells about discourses that are not found in the synoptics. And then the Gospel of John is laid out in two very clearly defined sections. Chapter one through eleven is John's description of the public ministry of Christ, but then chapter twelve to twenty-one, the end of the chapter, is his description of what we call the Passion Week. In fact, if you will look at chapter twelve and verse number one, it says, "Then Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany." The Passover that it's talking about is actually the Passover. On which Christ will be crucified we are six days away from that event already in chapter 12 so from chapter 12 all the way to the end of the chapter it's dealing with just that last week the final week of the Lord's ministry in the first 11 chapters John gives a synopsis of Christ's public ministry and he builds that around seven signs and seven sayings you remember our theme verse in John 20 and verse 30, where John said, Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not found in this book. So John calls miracles signs, signs because they're a sign to something. They're there to reveal something. They're, it's like a signpost is what it is. And what he wants those miracles to show you and I is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the truth. You know, you can believe every doctrine that this church believes. The rapture, the second coming, the church. You can believe all of it. But if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, you'll die and go to hell. So he gives you seven miracles. Sign number one, chapter two, turning water into wine. Sign number two, healing the nobleman's son in Capernaum. Sign number three, healing the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. Sign number four, feeding the 5,000 in chapter six. Sign number five, walking in the water in chapter six. Sign number six, healing the man born blind in chapter nine. And then sign number seven in chapter 11 would be raising Lazarus. So there are seven signs and then he gives us seven I am statements where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door." There are seven of those, two of them are found in this chapter now as we have come through this part of the book so far and you think back on what we have covered you might recognize that there has been one glaring omission one third of the synoptic gospels are made up of parables that jesus told a parable is a short story with a spiritual meaning Uh, Jesus looked at life around him, the farm, and, and things that were happening around him, and he drew spiritual application from physical things. And between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three, there are 31 different parables. In the Gospel of John, there's only one. Only one parable. Now, most Bible commentators will take this passage and say, well, that's not a parable. It's an allegory. But look at verse number six, this parable. I don't know why some people have to think they are smarter than Jesus. It's an allegory, but it's a parable because Jesus said that it is a parable and it is the only parable in John's gospel. Now, somebody says, why did Jesus preach in parables? Why did he speak in parables? Well, Matthew chapter 13 gives you the reason. Matthew 13 in verse number 10, here's what it says. And his disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. As the Jews began to reject the teachings of Jesus, Jesus began to more and more begin to use parables. And he used parables in his teaching because parables, catch this, they are designed to hide truth from those who do not believe, but to reveal truth to those who do believe. So Jesus spoke in parables. Those who would not hear him couldn't understand. Those who would hear him did understand what he was talking about. Two, the parables in the gospels are nearly always kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven parables. But in John's gospel, he only mentions the kingdom of God once. doesn't mention the kingdom of heaven. He talks about eternal life. So, John 10 is the only parable in the Gospel of John. Now, as we look at this story, and it takes up the entire chapter, we're only looking at six verses. There are several characters that make up the story. Now, here's how it's divided verse 1 through 6, he talks about shepherds and sheep. But if you just cast your eyes to verse number 7, He starts talking about a door. Verse 7 through 10 is about a door. Then verse number 11, all the way down to verse number 18, he talks about the good shepherd again. Now, you ought to take a penny. You ought to to underline some words, all right? Watch this. In verse number 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold. So we have a sheepfold in this story. But climbeth up some other matter, the same is a thief and robbers. So now I have robbers trying to break in to steal the sheep. Verse number two He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So now I have a shepherd. Verse three To him the porter openeth. Well, I wonder who the porter is. Look at verse five. And a stranger, a stranger, Will they not follow? So I have a stranger in this story. Look down to verse 12. We'll not cover this this morning. He that is an hireling and not the shepherd. So now I, I, I've got a sheepfold. I have robbers. I have a shepherd. I have a porter. I have a stranger. I have a hireling. In verse number seven, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. So I have a door. In verse number 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. He says it again in verse number 14. So so, so here's what I have. I have sheep. I have a sheepfold. I have a false shepherd. I have a door. I have a true shepherd. I have porters. I have a stranger. I have a hireling. And here's the thing about a parable. You want to be very careful that you don't make it say anything that Jesus didn't say. So, all that I'm interested in is what did Jesus mean by this parable? And in a parable or an allegory, something stands for something else. For example, in the parable of the sower that sows the seed, the seed represents the word of God. So, when he talks about a sheepfold, a porter, a stranger, a shepherd, it's standing for something else. So, so who is the shepherd? Who's the porter? Who are the sheep? That's what I want to determine this morning. And in order to do that, I want to take you through four steps of these six verses. First of all, I want us to imagine sheep and shepherds. Now, I don't know much about sheep or shepherds. All that I do know, I read from a book or saw on YouTube. That's all that I know. Most of us probably are experienced with sheep would be a petting zoo or the county fair even if you were raised on a farm chances are you didn't have sheep when i was a boy i had a cow I had a pig we had chickens we had a donkey had a whole lot of horses but we never did have any sheep so i have no experience with sheep But from what I have read, they are not the cute, cuddly, snow-white, fluffy little animals that everybody thinks they are in the picture book. Sheep are actually dumb animals. They have no sense of direction. They have no means of self-defense. They are susceptible to all kinds of diseases. They cannot find food or water on their own. They are in constant danger to predators. In other words, sheep are just like you and me. In fact, I think that God created sheep to give you an idea of what you and I are like. Here, here is this dirty, stinky sheep. This is, this is you, this is what, what you are like, all right? Psalm 95 and verse seven, he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 100 in verse 3, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 119, 176, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. So understand that when the Bible compares you and I to a sheep, it's not always a compliment. But here's the thing about it. When we learn that we are like sheep, then we lean more on the shepherd. We learn the incredible treasure of having a shepherd of Jesus Christ being our shepherd. You can't enter into the treasure of Psalm 23 until you first place yourself with dirty, dumb, defenseless sheep. Now, Israel, Israel was an agrarian society. They were well familiar with sheep and shepherds. It would have been a familiar sight every morning to hear the shepherd go down to the sheepfold and to get his flock and to lead them out to pasture. And you could look out to the fields and you could see shepherds watching over their flocks all day long. And the sheep were sheared and they used their wool and then they were butchered and they ate the sheep and they were a large part of everyday life. So when Jesus talks about sheep and shepherds, you have to understand, he is speaking their language. And shepherding was a hard Dirty job, monotonous, following stinking sheep all day long by yourself every day doing the same thing. And it's interesting that shepherds were valuable to their society, but shepherds were not appreciated in their society. Because shepherds had a reputation of being low on the totem pole, had a reputation of being dishonest, in fact in israel a shepherd was not allowed to testify in a court of law they didn't consider it a reputable testimony so i want you to imagine put it in your mind sheep and shepherds then to understand the passage the second thing we have to do is we have to investigate the setting here's what i mean by that john chapter 10 is not understood apart from john chapter 9. In fact, when you read John 9, 41, last verse, and John 10, 1, first verse, there's hardly any break in the conversation. Look at it, John 9, verse 41. Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, there's no break in the conversation now now i I don't question the chapter divisions but i believe that the conversation in john 10 is a continuation of the conversation at the end of john 9. now later on the scene is going to move three months down the road but i believe that we are in the same setting now watch this watch this all right Here, here it is in john chapter 7 jesus comes to jerusalem for the feast of tabernacles and there is differing opinions as to who he is and the pharisees want to kill him. In John chapter 8, it is the day after the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus comes back to the treasury in the temple, and the Pharisees confront him again. In John chapter 9, as Jesus is slipping away from the Jews, he passes by a man born blind, and he heals him, and then the controversy takes up all of chapter 9. So everything in John seven, eight and nine takes place in a matter of just a few days. Yeah. Now, 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 what happens in John nine this very important. Jesus heals a man born blind on the Sabbath and the Pharisees take issue because he did it on the Sabbath. Why couldn't he wait until Monday? He did it on the Sabbath. That was a violation of their silly rules that they had made up. And so they go on this witch hunt to condemn Jesus. And we saw in that chapter how they questioned the people, they questioned the blind man, they questioned the parents, they questioned the blind man again. And as they become more entrenched in their unbelief, his eyes start to open up where he confesses Christ. And when he confesses Christ, this is very important. Look at John 9 and verse 34. Look at the last statement. And they cast him out. The Pharisees, they are the religious leaders of Israel, but they are as blind spiritually as the blind man was physically. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus tells them that you are blind men. And here's what happened. The people have brought that blind man to the Pharisees because they're supposed to be their shepherds. They're supposed to be the religious leaders. But here's what you have in chapter 9. You have people that are fearful of the Pharisees. They know what they have seen, but they're afraid to admit it. Even the parents will not admit that this is how the miracle took place and, and, and because they are afraid of the Jewish elders. And all of the evidence points to Jesus as the true shepherd and, and false shepherds that are threatening them if they follow that shepherd. So who do we follow? Do we follow them or do we follow Jesus, and it's in that setting that Jesus comes back to the blind man, finds him, leads him to a confession of who he is, Lord, I believe. And he rebukes the Pharisees who have put him out of the synagogue. And immediately, he launches into this parable about the sheep and the shepherd. Look at verse one. Verily, verily, I say unto you, same people that he's been talking to, Look at verse 7. Verse number 7. Then said Jesus unto them again. The audience has not changed. Look at verse 19. There was a division therefore again, again, again among the Jews for these things. The word division is telling me they weren't all on the same page. They didn't all believe the same thing. Many of them went along with the Pharisee line that he's a blasphemer, he's a fraud, he's a deceiver, but not all of them did. Some of them wondered, could he be the Messiah that we've been looking for? Could he be the one? And to that crowd, Jesus sees Israel as sheep having no shepherd, no shepherd. In fact, Matthew 9 and verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 15 and verse 24, he answered and said, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He comes back to the same place where he did the miracle. And here are people that are confused. Here are people who are scared of the Pharisees. Here are people who have been threatened that if you confess him, we'll put you out of the synagogue. Can you imagine, do we follow Jesus or do we follow them? Do do we follow him or the same religion that we've known all of our life? Do we reject Judaism and cast our in with Jesus? Who do we follow? Do we follow the system? Do we follow the religion that has done nothing for us? Do we follow all of these rules that we're trying to keep? Or could he be the shepherd? Can I tell you this morning that there is a shepherd that calls out to you? But there's a lot of false shepherds that call out to you as well. There are false shepherds in our midst that would devour and steal and rob. And every part of the parable in chapter 10 is lived out in real life in chapter 9. In fact, if I could take this a step farther. This happened happened around thirty-two, thirty-three A.D. John writes the gospel 50 years later he is writing about a generation of Israel that has false shepherds. But 50 years later, he's writing to a generation of Israel that had false shepherds. Already at the end of the first century, there are heresies and isms and schisms. There are false doctrines that's being taught and the church was under attack by false shepherds already. He says in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, Peter says, There were false prophets also among you, even as there should be false teachers among you. First John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So, so the message was relevant in John's day. It's relevant in John's later day. Can I take it even a step farther. You and I are like sheep. And I'm telling you, there are some false shepherds even today. That would destroy the flock of God. False prophets, I'm telling you, there are false prophets that will lead you to hell. So who are you going to follow? So to understand the parable, you have to imagine sheep and shepherds. You've got got to put yourself in that mind, frame, And you have to investigate the setting. It's important to tie it to chapter 9. But to understand the parable, you have to identify the symbol. When you are studying an allegory or a parable, something means something else and you can't force the meaning. Something is representing something else. And when you don't know what it's representing, here's what you say. I don't know. You take what you do know. And it's not important that every minute detail fits something. It's important that you get the idea. An allegory is kind of like a shadow. You can see the form and the shape of the man, but you can't tell if he has black hair or red hair. But you can see the form. So let me step through it quickly, quickly, and then I'm going to make an application. I'll tell you what I know and what I believe the story represents. Look at verse number one. Verily, very, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold. Would you underline that word sheepfold in your Bible? And you have to understand it the way that a Middle Easterner would understand it. In every village in Israel, there were men and families that owned flocks of sheep. And they would hire shepherds or maybe they had a young son whose job was to care for those sheep. Now sheep are not foragers. You don't just turn them out like a goat and they go find their way. They have to be led to pasture and water. So every morning the shepherd would go to the sheepfold. He would gather his flock and he would lead them to some pasture, to some water for that day. He would stand nearby and he would watch them and he he would make sure they didn't wander too far away, drive off any predators that might would come. He would take them to a stream where they could get some water. It is a thankless job, boring, monotonous, dirty job. That's the last thing that you wanted to be was a shepherd. But then came the evening when he would bring the sheep back to the village. And the sheep at night would stay in an enclosure called a sheepfold. It would be an enclosure with a fence, maybe a stone fence, maybe a wooden fence, high enough that the sheep could not jump out. And every shepherd didn't have a different sheepfold. There'd be no need to have so many sheepfolds, so they would build a large enclosure, and they would put several flocks of sheep all together in that enclosure together. The sheepfold had one opening, and it's called a door, but it's not a door that swung and opened and closed on hinges. It was just an opening is what it was. So the shepherds, they're tired by night, so they would hire, the village would hire somebody to guard the sheep at night called a porter. The porter would stand at that opening and he would watch the sheep come into the fold and then he would stay there all night guarding them from wolves and thieves and and the such. And since there was no door, it was just an opening, sometimes the porter would lay across that opening and he would just sleep there at night and and that way, in order to, for them to get out, they'd have to step across him and he, he would know that. Then in the morning, the shepherds would come and they would gather their flocks. But how does, how does a shepherd know which sheep belong to him? Because they all look the same. So what a shepherd would do is he would stand off a little ways and he would call the sheep. And the sheep recognized his voice and they would come and they would follow him. So he'd come, he'd call his sheep and his little flock would come and he would lead them off to pasture. and the next shepherd would come and he would call his flock and they would lead off. And so when Jesus mentions the sheepfold, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Now what is the sheepfold in the story? The sheepfold, I believe, is the nation of Israel. Now there are some ridiculous commentaries that say that the sheepfold is heaven or it is the church. That is, that's ridiculous is what it is. It's not heaven. There are no thieves and robbers in heaven. It's not heaven. It isn't the church. The sheepfold is the nation of Israel. When Jesus brought up this imagery to these Jews, they would have immediately been reminded of Old Testament passages that said that Jehovah God was the shepherd of the nation of Israel. Spoke of Israel as a sheep and Jehovah God as their shepherd. Psalm 80, verse 1 Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. And in the Old Testament, I'll tell you more about this next week perhaps, but Jehovah God appointed under shepherds, prophets and priests and preachers that would guard and would guide and lead his sheep. The strongest language in the Old Testament is against false shepherds who devoured his sheep, the nation of Israel. I'll not have you turned there but jeremiah 32 23 and verse 1 woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture saith the lord therefore saith the lord god of israel against the pastors that feed my people ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them behold i'll visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the lord I gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase and I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall they be lacking saith the Lord. God's angry at false shepherds who abuse his sheep. In the New Testament the strongest language that Jesus gave was to the Pharisees who were supposed to be the shepherds and in Matthew 23 woe, woe be unto you. So get the picture. The sheepfold is Israel. And always remember that God has a special relationship with Israel. Right. We might look at the government of Israel right now, and it's a liberal government, and they're not God-fearing people at all. But God made promises to the seed of Abraham that He didn't make to any other nation, and God will fulfill those promises. The sheepfold is Israel. Come back and look at verse number one. Are you still with me? going somewhere going somewhere look at verse one very very i say unto you now watch this he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbeth up some other way the same as a thief and a robber so now we have thieves and robbers that are trying to steal the sheep who are they i believe that they are the pharisees the jewish leaders of israel when christ came it was became his number one priority to keep when, when Christ came, it became their number one priority to keep people away from Christ, to be sure that people did not believe in him. And all of their attacks against Christ was to keep the people from believing in him. You saw that in John chapter 9. When Saul was persecuting the church, he believed he was doing the work of God. And these Pharisees, when they are denouncing Christ and calling him a blasphemer, they believe they're doing the work of God. Yeah. Look at verse 2. He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now watch this, watch this. It does not say that the sheep enter in by the door. They do. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's the shepherd that enters in by the door. He that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, later on, Jesus is going to say, I am the door. That's a different analogy. He's talking about something else here. Here, here it is. Thieves and robbers, they come in another way, but the true shepherd comes in by the door. Do you see that? Yeah. So, so, so what is he talking about? How did Jesus come to the house of Israel? He came by way of the prophecy. He came by way of qualifications of the Messiah. He came in fulfillment of what the Messiah would be. You could read the Old Testament and look at Jesus and say, boy, that must be the one that they spoke of. He comes in the legitimate way. But then look at verse 2 again. He that enters in by the door is the shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep. He'll identify himself in verse 11 as the good shepherd. We'll talk about it next week. Verse 3, verse 3, look at it. To him the... Porter openeth. So here it is. Here it is. There's a sheepfold. Sheep. Sheep are in the sheepfold. Thieves and robbers trying to break over the wall to steal them. They come in an in illegitimate way. But the porter, the porter, he knows who the true shepherd is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It seems that the porter is the man who's watching over Israel. And he's opened the way for the true shepherd to come into the fold and call his sheep. What's he talking about? Now you and I can disagree on this and this will be fine. You can still go to heaven and not believe this. But could it be John the Baptist the forerunner, the one who opened the way for Christ to come to Israel? Verse 3, I'm hurrying to him, the, to that shepherd the porter openeth. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth them his own sheep by name and he leadeth them out. If the sheepfold is Israel, than the sheep or the Jews, individuals. And I would simply say believing Jews. Being a Jew physically doesn't mean that you're one of his sheep. You have to hear his voice. You have to follow him. Look at verse 5. And a stranger will they not follow. So Jesus is calling his sheep out of Israel. They hear his voice. They recognize him for who he is and they follow him. There are strangers calling out to them, but they won't follow the stranger. There are strangers calling out to them, but they don't recognize that voice. I'm not sure who the strangers are, but I will tell you that there are other voices that are trying to deceive them. Right. There are some people that are so easily sucked in by false teachers always running after something new, and it makes you wonder if you know the voice of the shepherd. Right. Yeah. Now, quickly, look down at verse 16. I have to mention this but in verse number 16, and other sheep I have. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, they should hear my voice, there should be one fold and one shepherd. I wish that I had time to talk about those other sheep, because I'll tell you right now who they are, it's me. That's who it is, it's me. See, see, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he also came to save Gentiles too, hallelujah for that. Came into his own, and his own received him not, but as many, but as many, me, but as many as received him. To them he gave you he power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. Amen. So I just want to tell you, I, I can't get there, but in case you go home and wondering, I just want you to know he didn't come to save Jews, but he came to save Gentiles too. And one day, all of them will be his sheep in one sheepfold, all together, all together. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. So here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to identify the symbols. Now, almost done. That is the most basic interpretation of this parable that you'll ever hear in your life. And it's not necessary to identify every minute detail in the story, but understand the broad meaning. It is not heaven. It's not trying to get heaven another way. That's not what it is about. There's a hireling later on. We'll talk about the hireling next week. Jesus is the true shepherd. Pharisees the other religious leaders they are evil shepherds they do not come to Israel legitimately based on Old Testament scriptures they come as thieves and robbers and the porter does not accept them because they're not legitimate shepherds he knows them for who they are and their interest is not in the sheep themselves but their own selfish gain. but the true Shepherd He came into the fold and he came legitimately. He came through the door and the porter recognized him and welcomes him in the fold to call out his sheep. And those who are hearing his voice, they follow him. That's the general meaning of the parable. So here's what we've done. Imagine sheep and shepherds. I hope that you're seeing them, sheep and shepherds. And And then investigate the setting. There's a context to it. Chapter 9 and 10 goes together. You have to identify the symbols. Just give me five or ten minutes and I want to instruct the saints. Because we have a very sound interpretation of the parables. Don't make it mean something that Jesus didn't intend. But don't get so lost in the hermeneutics that you don't see the shepherd of the passage. It's not for us to learn about the shepherd. But it's to enter into a relationship with the shepherd. What we learn is not to fill our head. It is to fill our heart. It is to make us love the shepherd. In the verses that I read to you, Jesus sets himself apart from the false shepherds. There are basically three ways to tell a true shepherd. i give it to you and I'm done. Number one, the true shepherd is known by his approach to the sheep. I've already said it, but you know that he's the true shepherd because he comes in the prescribed way. He comes through the door God appointed. He came in fulfillment of the law. He came in fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. He came in complete obedience and submission to the Father. He didn't come doing his own thing. He came as the Father had planned. When you read the Old Testament scriptures, you see he did everything by the book. Just as there were false shepherds in that day coming some other way are false shepherds today that are trying to come some other way. And you and I can judge a preacher by the book. How does he measure up according to the scriptures? I'm going to tell you something. If you're here this morning for the first time, or if you're visiting here, you're not a member of this church, I'm going to tell you, my opinion means no more than your opinion. No, nothing. Just because I'm a preacher and I say it doesn't mean that it's true. Take everything that I say and is it in the Bible? We are told to try the spirits and judge all things. And when you know the voice of the true shepherd, you will then recognize other voices that don't match up with the word of God. I'm telling you, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of religious voices out there. But if they're preaching and teaching something that's contrary to the word of God, they'll lead you to hell is what they'll do. A faithful shepherd will submit to the word of God. Look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. The Jewish people should have been able to look at him and said his life fits everything that the Old Testament said that the Messiah would be. They should have been able to read Isaiah, born of a virgin, check. They should have been able to read Micah 5, 2, born in Bethlehem, check. They should have been able to read every prophetic Passage and said, check. He looks like the Messiah. He sounds like the Messiah. John said he's the Messiah. He must be the Messiah. So I say to you this morning, look to Jesus. Look at his life. Look at what is said about him. Look what the Bible says about him. Look at how he came to this lost world. You can tell a true shepherd by how he approaches the sheep. Secondly, you can tell the true shepherd by his relationship with the sheep. I love verse 3. To him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. The shepherd has a relationship with the sheep. The thief doesn't care for the sheep. He only cares for himself. But the shepherd, he calls them by name. He leads them to pasture. He is with them all day and sometimes through the night. And the sheep learn to follow the shepherd and to trust the shepherd and depend on him for everything that they need for survival. They recognize his voice over all of the other voices. There is a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Thank God for that. That's why when we come to church and we sing songs like peace, peace, wonderful peace, we get excited because we have that peace in our heart. If you're here this morning and you're not saved you don't have a shepherd you can't claim christ as your shepherd and he doesn't claim you as his sheep yeah, right. you're like a lost sheep that's wandering out there in the woods with no one to watch over you ready to be devoured by this world for those of us who are saved we have a shepherd who watches over our soul and he knows us and he loves us and i love this he calleth his own sheep by name yeah. He knows your name, and he knows where you are, and he knows what you're going through, and he knows what hurts inside. The Lord is my shepherd. He's your shepherd this morning. Huh. I've been studying the book of Revelation starting Wednesday night. We're going to start going through Revelation. And I was looking this morning at that letter that Christ wrote to the church at Pergamos in Revelation 2 and verse 17 he says to the overcomers, he says, I'll give you a new name written, which no man knoweth, save he that receiveth it. Yeah. So evidently when we get to heaven, we're going to get a new name. And it's a secret name. It's a name that nobody knows, except to whom the receiveth it. Hey. There is a name that Jesus has picked out for me and it's just gonna be between me and him. I thought about that. I have six grandchildren. I call none of them by their name. (laughs) They have horrible names. Don't call them by their name. (laughs) I have a nickname for them. Anthony is Finney. Chapel, Chunk. (laughs) He's built like a chunk, I call him Chunk. (laughs) Annie, Boo Boo. Annie Boo Boo, she just, just, just Annie Boo Boo. And when I call them by that nickname, nobody else calls them by that name. But when I call them by that nickname, they don't take it as an insult. It is a term of affection. Right. Right. Now, if I was jumping on them, Chapel Andrew, Chapel Andrew, sit down, huh? But when I call him Chunk, so we're probably getting ready to eat a cupcake or something, huh? <laughs> My my little secret name for them is a term of affection. I have nicknames for them out of my affection for them. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but I wonder if the Lord has picked out a nickname for me and it's his personal term of endearment for me. I do know that each one of you has a special place in the heart of God and he calls you by name. He has a relationship. How do you tell the true shepherd? Here's the third reason. A true shepherd is known by his leading of the sheep. Verse 4. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And the sheep follow him, but they know his voice. And the stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. There's a difference in driving the sheep and leading the sheep. It's all in who is following who. Are you following the shepherd, or is the shepherd following you? Jesus walked up to fishermen on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, and he said, follow me, and he kept walking. He walked up to Matthew, the tax collector, and said, follow me, and he kept walking. Yeah. He walked up to Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew, and he said, follow me, and he just kept on a walking. He calls you, follow me. But here's the beauty of following the shepherd. Is he never leads his sheep into danger Never takes you to bad pastures or poisoned waters. The Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. He never leads me where he has not been before. He does not drive me ahead, but he leads me along. How does he lead? He leads me through his word. Through his word. He speaks to me out of his word. You ever hear him speak to you out of the Bible? You ever read the Bible? And said, well, God's speaking to me. How does he speak? I have his spirit inside of me and he speaks to me. I talked to him this morning and he talked back to me. Is he your shepherd? Is he leading you? I've got to be done. I've got to be done. I've got to be done. But I have to show you a verse. We'll preach on it next week, but I just want you to see it because it's going to excite you. you. Look at verse 15. I'm not preaching it, just reading is all I'm doing. Look at it, verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I of the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look at verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. You may not know the shepherd, but this is what the shepherd did for you. Shepherds don't usually risk their life for their sheep. Uh, They'll fight off the bear and the lion and the wolf, but I'm not going to die for one sheep. But Jesus went to a cruel cross and he died there for your sins. He died for you. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. he had to come. The wages of sin is death. Your sin. But Jesus took the penalty of your sins. He died on the cross for your sins. He satisfied the justice of God. He paid the price. He took it upon himself. If you ever see yourself as a sinner, in need of a Savior, look to Jesus. Not a religion, not a creed, but a person, a person. This is the person that will... Here's what the Bible says. That if thou shalt believe in thine heart, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved greatest thing in the world is to be saved and to have him as your shepherd. Yesterday, yesterday, a young man, tragedy, tragedy happened. Some of you guys work with him. A young man, accident, not his fault, drunk driver hit him. His life was taken. What a tragedy. Loses his life at such a young age. You know that could have been any one of us. You know that could have been me. That could have been you. It makes you get real serious about life, doesn't it? It makes you question. There's got to be more life to party. There's got to be more life beyond just this. And I want to say that what you need is you need Jesus Christ. You need him to save you from your sins, to clean you up, to break the power of sin and addictions over you. You need him as a guide for your life. You need him as a shepherd. And if you'll come to him, he'll accept you just as you are. He won't leave you like you are. but He'll accept you just like you are. If you'll confess him, confess your sin, believe in him, he'll be your shepherd. He has about our eyes closed behind a play. He has about every eyes closed. Christian, rejoice in the shepherd. You ought to come this morning. Step out of the pew. Come. Come talk to the shepherd. Things that you need to talk to him about, would you come? If you're here this morning, you don't know the shepherd. If you don't know Jesus Christ, would you step out this morning and would you come? Would you let us take a Bible, show you how to be saved? Would you come? Right now. Would you step out? Would you come? He wants to be your shepherd, your shepherd. Died on a cross for your sins your sins. He'll save you this morning if you'll let him. Our heads about eyes closed. Folks, on the altar, would you come? If the Holy Spirit convicts your heart this morning. Don't wait. Don't say no. Come even now. Even now.